Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Prove Me Wrong podcast. I'm your host, as always, Pete Lieb. I am glad you are here with me again tonight. Great show again tonight. We are going to talk about your health. Why? Because your health is important. It's important to me, and it should be important to you as well. So many people out there are chronically sick, unhealthy, looking for a change, not sure how to get started or where to start. And how do you know that what you're being told is correct, what you're doing is the right thing? Can you trust where you're getting your information from? My guest tonight is Dr. William Davis, is a medical doctor and a cardiologist, also an author and a health crusader who believes that the food you eat is making you sick and the agencies that are providing you with guidelines are giving dangerous advice with devastating health consequences. But the good news is, it's at least in my mind, it's never too late to change that and you can start today. Dr. Davis is the author of the book, Undoctored, Why Healthcare Has Failed You and How You Can Become Smarter Than Your Doctor. And if you're watching on the YouTube or the Rumble feed right now, I do have a copy of the book on the screen here so you can see what it looks like as well. Dr. Davis is also the author of the New York Times number one best-selling book, Wheat Belly, and a full complement of follow-up books regarding detoxing your body and cooking wheat free. He's also the medical director and founder of the Undoctored program, including the Undoctored Health Workplace program. You can find more on Dr. Davis online, wheatbellyblog.com, undoctored.com, and his Wheat Belly and Undoctored Facebook pages, as well as you can find those books uh, online on amazon.com as well. So with that, I'd like to welcome Dr. Davis to the Prove Me Wrong podcast. Thanks, Pete. Glad to be here. Can you start us off just a little bit with a little more about your background and what led you to go in this direction with your Wheat Belly program? You know, Pete, it was no one thing. It was really the culmination of a series of things. I think one of the first turning points for me was about 25, 26 years ago when I decided to go super low-fat vegetarian. (laughs) So I was following Dean Ornish's program way back when in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. He advocated a very strict vegetarian low-fat program. Mm -hmm. That's what I did. And I was jogging five miles several times per week. I cut out all oils, all animal products. I gained a bunch of weight, and I became a type 2 diabetic. And I was a metabolic disaster otherwise. I had a big belly. I had triglycerides of 390. I had an HDL cholesterol of 27 oodles of small LDL particles. In other words, I was a setup for diabetes and heart disease and all the associated problems like high blood pressure. I stopped being a low-fat vegetarian. It all went away, but it illustrated to me that diet uh, is, is extraordinarily powerful, including the wrong diet. <laughs> so it took me a number of years, and then my mom died of sudden cardiac death a few months after her successful two-vessel coronary angioplasty. Now, Pete, that's what I did. For 25 mm-hmm. years, I inserted stents, did balloon angioplasty, atherectomies, all that fancy stuff in people's coronary arteries. And my mom dies of that disease. It drove home to me that what I did, that is opening people's arteries, aborting heart attacks, was really kind of a sad way to manage heart disease that really should be managed in the uh, years before those kinds of things happen. So how do you... So I asked questions back then. Well, how in the world do you do that? If we're not going to manage heart attacks, sudden cardiac death, et cetera, in a cath lab setting, how do we do it, let's say, five years before that kind of stuff becomes necessary? Well, the only test then and now, by the way, is a coronary calcium score uh, obtained via a CT heart scan. It's just a CAT scanner. Mm-hmm. It's set up in a specific way, and these were very fast scanners, and you get a 
calcium score. Calcium occupies 20% of all coronary atherosclerotic plaque volume. And you just track it and you, one of the horrifying things you learn is just how fast coronary atherosclerosis grows. It grows about 25% per year if you do nothing. Well, back then I was very conventional in my thinking, even though I was starting to ask some different uh, new questions. And one of the things that I helped prove was that we put somebody, so if you do nothing, coronary calcium score goes up 25% per year. If you go on the best modern healthcare has, a low fat diet, aspirin, a high dose of a statin drug, exercise, the heart scan score goes up 25% per year. It has no effect whatsoever. <laughs> that was the best they had. They still do right. this day. They call it optimal medical therapy. <laughs> and so I, it was clear that just allowing this to happen would allow people to get closer and closer to the heart attack, death, need for procedures. So I set myself on a course to identify ways to put a stop to that. And that led to these kind of unique strategies that have since expanded. It seems odd to me. And it's kind of like to me where, where a, a police officer can't do anything until the crime's already been committed. So a lot of times I, I kind of get that same feeling about hospitals. Hospitals really can't do anything until the crime has already been committed. Then they treat you uh, for what your problem is. So I think it's refreshing that somebody actually said, rather than just treating the issue long after it's it's too late in some cases, why not do something now to prevent that problem from actually occurring? But a lot of the problem we have, though, is a lot of these hospitals are for profit, right? They, they, they make money by bringing you in sick and treating your sickness and not necessarily curing your sickness. I don't know. So it always just kind of seemed odd to me. Your wheat and grain-free, the wheat belly, it sounds a lot like a keto, basically a keto diet. Is, is there a difference between the two? There's lots of differences. This, of course, all happened before ketosis and keto right, yeah. has become popular. But I, my motivation initially was when you see people with positive coronary calcium scores or had a heart attack or have three stents or had a bypass operation or some form of coronary disease. And you look, you start looking for causes beyond the absurd and outdated, ridiculous cholesterol testing that to this day, I'm shocked this is still done yeah. <laughs> 50, 60, 70 years after it should have been uh, shuttered down. So if you do more advanced testing, looking for other causes, one of the things you'll stumble on is the absolute rule that people with coronary disease have an excess of small LDL particles, not LDL cholesterol, which is a crude indirect marker, but an actual measure of the particles that are in the low density fraction of, of blood. And you see that people with coronary disease almost, almost without fail have an abundance of these particles. So I asked myself, well, how do we get rid of this? Uh, well, of course the conventional answer is ignore it or throw Lipitor at them or some equivalent. Mm -hmm. Well, the science was clear. It came from Dr. Ronald Krauss, UCSF, and other places that the only foods that cause formation of small LDL particles were grains and sugars. Simple as that, Pete. Yeah. So I asked my patients back then, this is a number of years ago, take out all grains and sugars. Lo and behold, small LDL particles measured by such things as an NMR lipoprotein panel, a much superior measure to cilial cholesterol testing. And they would drop from, say, 2,400 nanomoles per liter particle count per volume, uh, down to zero or something close. In other words, it wasn't like 20% better or 30%, but it was effectively eradication in the majority of people. And with it, all kinds of great stuff happened when they eliminated grains and sugars. People would say, you didn't tell me I'd lose 43 pounds. Right. 
kind of by, by accident, or you didn't tell me that my rheumatoid arthritis would get so much better. I get off two drugs. You didn't tell me that my diabetes would go away. I have to stop my insulin and my metformin, my biota injections. In other words, I stumbled for coronary disease purposes into a whole world of causes that wheat and grains had, had uh, were responsible for. And that's why I started asking, well, why, why in the world would the food embraced by all my colleagues, dietitians, dietary guidelines, when you remove it, yield these extraordinary effects. Now, the, uh, it goes into a lot more than diet, though, and that's one of the things that makes me cringe when I hear people doing doing ketogenic diets, carnivorous diets, is that that's a great start. You have all these yeah. upfront benefits, but then you have long-term health problems because you cannot stop your efforts at diet. There are many other things you have to do, especially in this world where you and I were all exposed to glyphosate, the herbicide, which is an mm -hmm. antibiotic. We're all exposed to emulsifying agents in ice cream, say, like polysorbate 80 or car carboxymethylcellulose that disrupt the mucous intestinal lining change, cause massive shifts in bowel flora. We're all deficient in vitamin D. We're all deficient in magnesium because we have filtered water. So diet, very powerful. And I learned that lesson many years ago. But there's more you can do if your goal is to do such things as stop the rise in coronary calcium scores, don't have a heart attack, not be diabetic, not be obese, not have autoimmune diseases, not have eczema, psoriasis, or seborrhea. There are so many of these outdated measurements. And I, and I you know, like most people in the world, I have a, a nine to five job as well. And every year at the end of the year, we come in and we get our medical testing done for our health plans for next year. And you'll go in there and you'll get uh, the BMI test, which to me was, was always ridiculous, talking about your, your height and your weight. So obviously, you know, I, I'm 6'3", and I'm about 100. Well, let me, use, let me tell my story. My story, actually, because it's very similar. I also, I've been doing that myself, essentially the wheat belly, for about almost three years now. And in 2018, I was 6'3", 220 pounds. Cut out the grains, cut out the sugar, just like what you're, you're talking about here. And within six months, I was 6'3", 185 pounds. And, wow. all, and all, of my, um, all of my blood counts, all of my measurements improved greatly. The cholesterol, all of that went, went down significantly. But it had been before. You'll, you'll see for um, insurance purposes, you'll see, hey, I'm 6'3", I'm and I'm, say, 200 pounds. And they're, and they're putting you right there on the obese scale. And I'm like, this is such an outdated measurement. Or to your point, the cholesterol... And I, I even asked the, the, the nurse who was taking my blood to do the cholesterol. I was like, what is the right, I mean, what, who, who came up with 200? Why is 200 the, the number that determines whether or not I get $50 taken on or off of my, uh, my yearly or my annual um, copay? And she's like, well, you know, it used to be 400. You, then it was 300. And then as the need for these other drugs, you know, the, the Lipitors and things like that, they kept lowering it and lowering it and lowering it. And I just, I almost felt uh, cheated a little bit. It was, it was very, um, it was eye-opening for me to see how that goes. When did, and it all comes back to me, the, the food pyramid. And the food pyramid started to promote the fact that the basis, the foundation of your diet is carbohydrates. It's, it's breads, it's pasta, it's grains. Why did, did we start that? I mean, do you have any idea of what, what is the popular thinking in the medical profession as to why that is the, um, the quintessential American diet. You know, Pete, it's shocking to people like you and me that there's still talk about reducing total fat and saturated yeah. fat 
<laughs> because one, there never was any proof for that concept. It was promoted by a handful of very uh, strong personalities who published flawed data or concealed data or misrepresented data or advocated some very deeply flawed studies. Uh, uh, and, and yet today, you know, the American Heart Association, not that long ago, maybe a year and a half ago, came out with a reiteration of their low-fat diet and said, this is based on the studies performed 50 years yeah. ago. <laughs> and, and ignoring all the studies, by the way, like the Women's Health Initiative, that showed one of the largest, most expensive studies ever performed in which women were put on a low-fat diet, and it did not reduce cardiovascular risk. And study after studies, in fact, has shown the opposite. People who go on a low-fat diet often have more cancer, more traumatic uh, injury, more uh, death. And so uh, there's never been any proof. Now, there are epidemiologic observations that suggest there's less heart attack, less colon cancer, less type 2 diabetes with a, uh, a diet richer in whole grains. What they don't tell you or what they don't understand is that what they're really doing is showing that when you replace white and rich flour products in a diet with whole grain products, there is indeed less weight gain, less type 2 diabetes, less coronary disease compared to white and rich flour. What they didn't do is say, well, let's see what happens when we eliminate the grains all the other. And as you know, those studies yeah. have been done. And that's where diabetes doesn't get, there's not just less diabetes, there's often no diabetes. <laughs> There's not less weight gain, there's weight loss. And so it's the overly simplistic thinking. The Harvard School of Public Health has had undue sway on, on nutritional thinking because of a flood of dietary, uh, essentially garbage. The nurses' health study, the physicians' health study, that are nothing more than observational studies, which we all know prove nothing. So if we say in an observation, but this is why, of course, Pete, they have headlines because the press doesn't always understand this. Red meat causes cancer. Red meat doesn't cause cancer. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, red meat causes heart. It doesn't cause. Butter causes heart. Doesn't cause. Eggs cause heart. They don't cause. <laughs> they're swinging back and forth because what they're talking about is the sense of garbage evidence that comes out, uh, but often billed as proof. It's one of the most successful propaganda campaigns I've ever seen. I mean, the, the it has been one of the greatest propaganda campaigns. You'll have a box of Cheerios that the, the biggest thing you see on the side of the box of Cheerios is heart healthy. It's heart healthy because it's, it's low fat. It's fat free. It's low, low in saturated fats. And they put that sticker on there and people buy it. People's like, oh, I mean, they buy it like, oh, yeah, that, that's true. I'm, this is good for me. It, it is an incredible um, media machine that, that and unfortunately, they take a stick. They look at a stick of butter or they look at some type of um, animal based. They're like, well, this is this is bad for me. This is going to raise my cholesterol. And, and that was the biggest question when somebody had for me was or that people had to me when I said I'm no longer going to be eating breads and rice and sugar and things like that. Well, your, your cholesterol is going to go through the roof. I'm like, what makes you think that? Because that's just what you were told, you know, that the propaganda comes back in. Um, how far is the medical community from settling this diet science. I mean, because to your, what you mentioned there, you'll have one article talking about the benefits of red meat and, you'll, and, and another article talking about uh, you're going to die if you eat too much red meat. Are we ever getting closer to um, taking a look at that again and actually coming to some type of, everything has consensus, right? We have suddenly we have consensus that the earth is warming. We have consensus that smoking is bad for you, but we still have no consensus on whether or not on what a good diet is. Are we getting any closer? 
I think so, but it's happening uh, inexcusably slowly. Yeah. More than, and this is going to sound terribly cynical, but, but the medical community, to be honest, doesn't give a crap about diet for the most part. You know, as a practicing cardiologist for most years, I can tell you from many, many thousands and thousands of conversations over the years, including those in the back room, you know, the locker room type conversations, the, the interest is not devising the diet that's appropriate for humans or finding ways to prevent heart attack or cancer or Alzheimer's. It's how do I profit from this situation? Yes. If I get, if I make uh, $800,000 a year by putting stents in, or I make a tiny fraction of that by preventing heart disease, you can, you know which one they opt for. Likewise, ophthalmology. We have ophthalmologists charging thousands of dollars every day for doing silly injections that have almost no effect on diseases like macular degeneration rather than educating their patients about how they might have better control. So we have a system that's too hell bent on profit for themselves and for insiders in healthcare. And we also have this idea, this, this practice of indifference, of willful ignorance, that you pay attention as a practitioner to the activities and products that generate revenues for you and your other healthcare insiders, but you don't pay attention to the nutritional conversations, the power of, nu of nutrients, the power of, say, the microbiome, or other very, very powerful. It's happening, people. It's happening inexcusably slowly. There's a definite push and pull there again, because you would think we, we're having discussions now about the cost of healthcare and how much healthcare is costing us and how it's breaking the, the average American family. But we are not pushing the preventative care. We're making money on the treatment. So, I mean, and it has to kind of be the, the way that we're eating. So we seem, we're one of the only countries in the world that have these health problems. Uh, you know, then we, we start going, we'll just, we'll just promote this positive body image and, and we'll promote people being overweight and being in bad and poor health as an attempt to, abnorm, to normalize abnormal body structures because it's easier than just addressing the problem. And so there's that, always that push and pull because we're saying, oh, we can't afford our health care but we are creating that monster, right? Am I wrong about that? No, you're absolutely right. There's just no incentive for help, most yeah. healthcare insiders. I'm, and I'm, when I say that, I'm not talking about mainstream practitioners. There are very excellent naturopaths, chiropractors, functional medicine practitioners, people truly interested in delivering health. Yeah. But it's the, the bulk of practitioners in mainstream medicine, the ER docs, the primary care docs, the cardiologists, the gastroenterologists who put profit first so if I go to a gastroenterologist and I say I have uh, irritable bowel syndrome symptoms with bowel urgency, excessive gas, and a rosacea, rash. In other words, these are signs that you have a massive disruption of your bowel flora, of your microbiome, including probably bowel flora uh, that have outmuscled. Unhealthy species have outmuscled healthy species, and they have also ascended to occupy the entire length, 30 feet of your gastrointestinal tract. Well, that's called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO where, so just as the name suggests, bowel floor have ascended up the entire length of your GI tract. It's, it's, it's a terrible condition, and it shows up as uh, type 2 diabetes, weight gain. There are other causes, of course, too. Autoimmune diseases, fibromyalgia, restless leg syndrome, uh, on and on and on. The gastroenterologist does the obligatory upper endoscopy, colonoscopy, charges his hundreds to thousands of dollars, ka-ching, 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 because he does typically 10 to 14 of these a day. Mm -hmm. And then says, good news, Pete, you don't have a stomach ulcer, you don't have colon cancer, see ya. And you say, no, wait a minute, I came here because I had some questions about bloating, diarrhea, I, do I have SIBO? He says, don't waste my time, that's stupid, did you consult Dr. Google? 
they blow you off. I didn't see anything on the at the end of my scope. You don't see this this process on, with the scope, or at the very most, among the more savvy and when we're informed, we'll hand you a prescription for a drug like rifaximin, which is the conventional antibiotic that has 36 to 60 percent efficacy, but never mentions a word about how you got it, how you can increase the effectiveness of an antibiotic, what options or alternatives you have what you can do for long-term improved bowel health so that your SIBO does not lead to colon cancer or diverticular disease. So we have a system, we have a, a collection of practitioners who are only looking for that revenue generating opportunity, but are not invested in your health. So that's why it's just so important what you're doing, what I'm doing, what your listeners are trying to educate ourselves, trying to get the answers. Because you know what, One of the, this is it's a terribly cynical conversation yeah. on the bright side. The answers are there already. There's so much out there now that really do provide answers that allow people to do such things as allow a type two diabetic to become non-diabetic like I did 25 years ago, or to reverse a condition like rheumatoid arthritis or rosacea or restless leg syndrome. And you don't need those nasty drugs to do all this. In terms of myths, I mean, there are myths associated with these low carb, high fat diets. You know, they get thrown out all the time. What is what some of the myths that the average person would immediately pull that that we can just you can just dispel uh, pretty immediately when you meet with someone? Well, of course, one is fat, total fat or saturated fat causes cardiovascular disease. And of course, there's yeah. virtually no support for that. Diet. In fact, the, uh, the evidence suggests the opposite. Or fat consumption makes you fat. You and I know that's ridiculous. That's mm -hmm. not. It's not true. Fat induces satiety. Fat. Uh, fills fills you up and keeps you from wanting things like grains or sugars. About seventy five percent of my diet is fat. Let me just put it that way. And people Great. look at me and, and they're like, "What?" I'm said, "I eat fat. That's all I eat." <laughs> and people look at me like I'm crazy. It's like, do I look fat to you? And they assume that I'm that I must have just again terrible cholesterol, or I must uh -huh. have some heart disease or something like that. I was like, I've never felt better. I'm a man of a certain age. As we start getting to a certain age, things start to ache the way they didn't before. I would get up in the morning and my my knees, my ankles would, would hurt in the morning. That's all gone. All that inflammation is gone. Uh, I sleep better. My my wife had mentioned that I stopped snoring. You know, my snoring that I used to have a really big snoring problem. Uh, I don't do that anymore. So there were, I've been a lot of, I've also felt um, a little more cognitive. You know, the the brain is, is less foggy than it used to be. Uh, just you would, the things that you would, again, associate with just, I'm getting older, you know, you start to lose a little bit off the fastball after a certain time frame, but that doesn't have to be that way, right? I mean, that that's, but when I say that to people, you know, they, they discard me. I, I'm not, I don't have the appropriate credentials in front of my name like you do. And that's why I bring people like you on to, to also dispel some of that. But are those are some of the things that you're seeing as well with your patients? Are there, you know, other things that um, people could look forward to by just changing a little bit of their diet? Absolutely. So everything you got rid of, you deprive your doctor of an opportunity to prescribe one or several drugs or yeah. have it lead to a procedure. Just joint aches and inflammation alone, which is extremely common, as you know, yeah. where you're prescribed ibuprofen or naproxen or, or uh, diclofenac, which, by the way, so those drugs alone are extremely harmful. They disrupt the mucus barrier in your intestines. It invites changes in the bowel floor composition. It causes intestinal small bowel ulceration in a shocking number of people, in addition to stomach and duodenal ulceration. Uh, in, in other words, one drug, generally regarded as benign, leads to a whole series of health problems 
that then the doctor steps in. So when you're hemorrhaging mm-hmm. from your small bowel ulcers, the gastroenterologist, so we have to do an upper endoscopy, colonoscopy to look for a source. In other words, that's how the, the system works. Rather than say, you know, Pete, what, what's in your life and diet that's allowing inflammation? Could it be wheat and grains? Yeah. Could it be disruption bowel flora? Could it be a lack of vitamin D? Could it be a failure to up your omega-3 fatty acid intake that activates the intestinal alkaline phosphatase that disables bacterial breakdown products in your gastrointestinal tract? Could, in other words, rather than look for the causes, they look for these pharmacological or procedural solutions. So you know, I, I come from the procedural world to yeah. a large degree. And I, I tell you, illustrated me, you know, people get all worked up about the pharmaceuticals, which is a big, big, big problem. By the way, that's the reason why people like me and the Mark Hyman's of the world and other people who write books about health are no longer interviewed on TV, morning TV, evening news. There used to be a lot of us would be able to go on TV and talk about nutritional issues and our new books. And that all came to a halt when big pharma began to show that they could control the airwaves they essentially bought mm-hmm. major media both broadcast and print for about six billion dollars a year in advertising uh, revenue so it means that major media says we no longer want to host these conversations uh that are potentially antagonistic to our major advertisers so you won't see any of us on tv anymore so it's that's why i say what you're doing pete what other podcasters, what I'm trying to do, what other authors, is so important because we are the David versus the Goliath of big pharma and even worse, medical device industry. Well, yeah, you just you just answered my next question because you kind of pulled the curtain. I was going to ask, why did you decide to pull the curtain back on basically what you were doing and, and kind of show how the sausage is made, so to speak? But you are right. You mentioned drugs, and we are inundated on television regarding prescription drugs, the funny names. I never really know what the hell they're actually selling, uh, you know, it's always just, hey, check with your doctor and they'll they'll tell you if it's right for you. I have to look, some, some weird name, I can't even spell it. I'm supposed to just go into my doctor and say, hey, what does trichnevity mean to, me, to you? What am I supposed to use that for? Yeah, it's so odd. They ultimately have an extreme side effects. They're potentially addictive attributes and you're on it forever. Then you never get off the medication. And uh, just to, again, going back to me, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, my cholesterol was 205 or 210, something like that. And I went to my, my GP, my general practitioner, and he said, oh, this, this looks a little bit high. You might want to go on Lipitor. And I was like, what do you mean? I said, what's healthy? He's like, below 200. I'm like, I'm at, 20, I'm at 210. Are you kidding me? I'll come back in three months and, and we'll see. I came back three months later. It was 202. I thought, well, okay, great. I've, I've reduced it. He's like, no, nah, it's still pretty high. We should get you on this. And I, I looked him in the face and I said to him, you can write a prescription all you want. I will never take it. I will live the rest you. of my life at 200 if I have to. But I said, but I'll come back in three months. I came back three months later. All I did was cut hot dogs out, Dr. Davis. I cut hot dogs out of my, my diet, and I came back at 185. And then and he kind of looked at me and like, well, okay. And then, and then I walked out. <laughs> but, you know, I just, I'll be damned if you're going to put me in a drug that I'm going to be on for the rest of my life. I just, I just can't do it. Because to me, these pharm- the pharmaceutical companies, they're essentially like mad scientists, right? They're just throwing deadly compounds together. They're giving it to people and then wait to see what happens. Oh, uh, you know, they, they're having convulsions, but the, the rash on their skin cleared up. So this must be a rash medication. That's kind of what it seems like to me, how they do those things. You know, they put these ads out there. At some point, they almost have more side effects than benefits. It's almost like saying cigarettes and cocaine have benefits. They had other side effects, too. I'm just you rambling said, now. Pete, yeah. There was a time when the pharmaceutical industry had a conscience 
and they thought they were in the business of manufacturing penicillin and other antibiotic yeah. and necessary vaccines for uh, pandemics, those kinds of truly necessary social and health uh, uh, um, services. But then there was an epiphany about 30, 40 years ago. They said, hey, you know, if, if somebody takes an antibiotic for pneumonia or upper respiratory infection, whatever, they take it maybe for two weeks and then our profit opportunity is done. Let's go after the chronic yeah. diseases of lifestyle like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, even if we have to essentially make up these diseases so that uh, these opportunities are not measured in weeks, but in decades. And that's when they exploded, when they decided to focus on these diseases. And that's what we have now. We have a pharmaceutical industry and device industry that focuses on the long-term opportunities. What impact do the drug companies have in terms of your, the current medical practice guidelines? Were you seeing things like that where the pharmaceutical companies were really starting to have an impact on how you did your business day-to-day -day in terms of treating patients? Absolutely. So what happens is Big Pharma will pay for the studies to uh, prove, for instance, that drug X works. Mm -hmm. uh, that becomes incorporated to practice guidelines, hospital systems, uh, other agencies hold you to that standard, essentially uh, set by big pharma and the medical device industry. And then, so if you're not doing like your other, like your colleagues and say somebody comes into the hospital with a heart attack, survives, gets a stent, et cetera, they must be uh, discharged on aspirin, yes, a statin drug, an ACE inhibitor, a beta blocker, and some other things. And if you're not, the practitioner gets dinged and over time, healthcare insurers can say, Dr. Jones, we're not gonna cover your uh, patient's costs anymore because you don't adhere to guidelines. So Big Pharma has infiltrated into medical practice. Now, it sounds like my colleagues are, are all uh, uh, unwilling <laughs> victims. They're not, they're often willing victims. So and there's a mixture, I'm generalizing, of course, mm -hmm. um, just as big media has abdicated their responsibility to report news and real information they have decided to essentially censor anybody who has a message potentially contrary to the interests of big pharma. So we have a world that's been distorted by all this. That's why what you're doing, what uh, other people in our space are doing is so critical because we are operating in the shadow of this gargantuan industry. My biggest concern, my biggest complaint was always that I would go to the general practitioner and I would start to tell what my symptoms were. I, was, I would start to tell how I was feeling, and I would almost be cut off because the, the, the doctor would assume that he knew what I was talking about and would immediately start to diagnose something when I hadn't actually even finished listing out what I was feeling at that point. What can, the, the, can an average person do in those situations? And I also think of like my grandmother, who is a woman who, um, she's an elderly woman. She's close to 90 now. She has this doctor who myself, my mother, are all telling her he's giving you bad advice, but he is a doctor in her mind. He's the doctor, so he must know what he's talking about. What would your advice be to people like that who feel like they're not being heard or even though they're being told things that, are, that seem to be counterproductive and don't seem to be working, but they can't actually uh, address them with their, their practitioner? You know, this is a lot easier for the Pete's and his audience of the world as opposed to grandma. Yeah. <clears throat> because grandma comes from a different generation where they say the doc, where the doctor says, I'll do. I mean, we're not that far away to, you know, when if you had cancer, the doctor wouldn't tell you because he thought it would hurt your health. 
you would just wonder why I've lost 50 pounds and I'm emaciated. I have all this pain. This was true. There was, yeah. there was actually surveys run not that long ago where my colleagues expressed the opinion that it was not your right to know if you had cancer or not. You, you would just be comforted. So it's amazing that we go from that paternalistic system that continues to this day, despite the dissemination of information and the emergence of a really empowered generation like you, who when you, and I, I don't think I'm exaggerating, Pete, when you sit down with the doctor, you're the smarter one about health. The doctor knows which MRI to use, which general surgeon to use if you rupture your appendix. He knows how to get yeah. a, a, a CT scan of your brain. But when you say, hey, doc, help me with diet. Why is my blood sugar 105? Why is my hemoglobin A1C 5.7%? Doctors, uh, don't worry about that. That's nothing. Don't worry about it. Because it doesn't rise to the level of needing prescription drugs or procedures. And so we have this one, one, so there's a whole collection of solutions here. One would be to not use mainstream doctors unless you must. Mm-hmm. Functional medicine doctors are proven to be kind of the heroes, a lot of this stuff. I don't agree with everything they do, but they are a lot better at looking at biochemical nutritional causes for conditions and helping you address them. Uh, functional medicine practitioners, uh, the naturopaths are doing a very good job in general. Practitioners much more in tune with physiology and nutrition, those kinds of things. Uh, for you and me, I would say don't use mainstream medicine unless you absolutely must. If you got COVID-19, need a ventilator, you have to use a damn hospital. Right, yeah. If you bust your leg, you're in a car accident, injure your head, you got to go to the hospital. Where, by the way, they actually ruin your health long term. They take care of the acute illness, but they do all kinds of things to you, not because they're mean, but because they're ignorant. Right. Antibiotics, right. of course, and other agents that have long term implications for the sake of a near term response. So I, I personally almost never use any of my colleagues. I still have lots of my colleagues who are friends and they barely understand these concepts. They still think that the doctor is king. You do what, do what I damn well say you do. And you don't know anything. I went to medical school. I did training. I think Lipitor is great for heart health. And I think a colonoscopy starting at age 45 is what you need. I mean, they, they still believe all this stuff. That is a part of our society now as well. It's also, you don't get an opinion if you don't have some type of, of letters before your name. You don't get an opinion anymore about what your own health is or what's best for you. And uh, social media is the worst thing in the world anyway, but you'll go onto social media and somebody will post an opinion and then you will post an opinion and then they will say, well, what's your qualifications to make that statement? Well, they're the same as yours. You know, <laughs> we're, we're people who have, we have, our, we have bodies that, we, that feel. So I, it's, so you're falling to that a lot where, well, you're not qualified to tell me that. Well, it, it's my body, isn't it? So how do we get away? Because you had talked about the doctors really being incentivized to push medication, to push procedures by the hospitals themselves. Is there a path in your view to get away from that and get back to the point where the doctor's actually treating the cause or treating the issue and not just simply trying to get a bigger bonus at the end of the year by sending you off for a colonoscopy. Yeah. Pete, I don't have a quick and easy answer except to say that one, be extremely cynical, be extremely distrustful of anything my colleagues tell you Uh, outside of an emergency situation. You know, if if you ruptured your colon, you need an emergency colectomy. Right. Right. But if if you're involved in an interaction about your cholesterol or blood pressure or irritable syndrome, or eczema or psoriasis, or the hundreds of common everyday health conditions we're all aware of, 
don't accept your doctor's opinion at face value. Always get another opinion, but preferably an opinion from someone who's not got a stake in big pharma and the medical device industry and the hospital industry, but from a functional medicine practitioner, a naturopath, a chiropractor. You know, this sounds, what I tell people generally is you don't have to identify 15 practitioners that are friendly to your way of thinking. Find one. Yeah. If you find that primary care doctor, that naturopath, or that functional medicine uh, obstetrician, and you say, hey, doc, I think I have an issue with such and such. Do you know somebody in that area? And they says, oh, yeah, I use a couple of, in other words, you tap into a network of like-minded practitioners. And that's, that. even though that seems antiquated in the age of social media and rapid information exchange, it's still, that old-fashioned method still works very well. But it means not being trust, uh, uh, trusting of, of the uh, information being given to by mainstream doctors. And of course, in an age of, of rapid information and mm-hmm. collaboration, you know, despite all the arguing and, and mudslinging that goes on in places like social media, you know, uh, if you're, if, if someone like Pete is not selling something, uh, you're not saying, Hey, uh, I think brand X supplements good for you. And here I'm selling it. Well, you should be skeptical, of course, for obvious reasons, but if we're just exchanging information and you give a rational basis for your belief, let that person accept that. Maybe let it percolate through the thinking. Uh, but that's the real magic of what we're doing now is collaborating. We are having levels of conversation, Pete, that are light years beyond what used to happen, say, when mom and dad were talking about health. Yeah. Where going to the medical library and asking the librarian if you can see some of the books, she looks you up and down because she thinks you're a pervert, just want to look at the pictures of naked people. <laughs> so we've gone from that kind of crude access to information uh, to a pretty sophisticated access to the world's medical and scientific literature. And it's become clear that there's a wealth of information. And it's also become clear that my colleagues are woefully out of touch with that information. What is your opinion? And you may not have one, but what is your opinion on some more of those homeopathic uh, medications? Say, um, uh, THC, CBD, marijuana, those type of things. It's starting to gain some traction across the country for medical purposes. Uh, and it, for so long, it was it was really a, a blacklisted thing. Now we're starting to see that it actually has a ton of uh, health benefits. What are your feelings on things like that? Well, the homeopathy thing is a whole other story, but I yeah. will say that, you know, I was initially skeptical mm-hmm. of the whole conversation behind cannabis, cannabidiol, et cetera. But I have yeah. to say, because I initially and wrongly dismissed it as a as a excuse for potheads <laughs> to justify what they did with science, but that's not true. I think what we're really seeing is that people who obtain benefit from pot, not just getting high, but relief from pain, relief from nausea, tolerating chemotherapy or other conditions, migraine headaches, all kinds of conditions, mm-hmm. is because they inadvertently tap into a very fascinating but very complicated world of the endocannabinoid uh, system. And it's becoming clear that agents like THC, the whole variety of compounds uh, listed as CBD, right. the other endocannabinoids like anandamide, like oleoethanolamide, palmitoethanolamide, that we've tapped into a very extraordinary world that, by the way, intersects with the microbiome, with the endotoxemia of mm-hmm. SIBO with a whole bunch of other things. In other words, uh, marijuana was the inadvertent hint that that we were tapping into something that's big, extraordinary, has extreme potential. And that's just at the 
at, at the uh, just at the start yeah. of insight. And it's 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 surprising me how fast that world is growing and how much potential that world really has. But it also goes indirect. At this point, the, the big pharma hasn't really. Well, I guess maybe they have in certain states, but they haven't really found a way to to make the same kind of money on that. Do you think that maybe some of that, some of the pushback to a larger um, acceptance of that across the country is because of the fact they can't figure out how to make money on it yet, that they haven't, haven't they got the government control that they want yet? You know, I suspect so, but I don't know so, Pete. I don't know that yeah. for a fact. I couldn't show you emails or a trail, yeah. a paper trail that shows that, but I suspect that's true. There is one drug, of course, from the CBD world that has been approved by the FDA, that's the Epidiolex for mm -hmm. seizures. Um, I think, you know, there's actually one of the great exciting things is the science has gotten to the point where it's become clear that there are things you can do, such as endocannabinoids, yeah, uh, THC, such as purposeful manipulation of the microbiome, purposeful manipulation of the mucus barrier of the intestines that's disrupted by many food products that have extraordinary effects that are non-pharmacological. You know, there's a recent uh, probiotic. They came out, uh, came out of California, it's called Pendulum. And by the way, I have no relationship with them. I have no reason to tell anybody this except that it's a cool product. Right. And they managed to isolate uh, a microbe that normally dies on exposure to oxygen. But they, they figured out a process and it has, uh, this probiotic has five microbes in it, but the primary one is one called Acromancia. And Acromancia has generated a lot of excitement because when you, uh, supplement acromancia when you rebuild the acromancia that many people either have lost or has diminished in numbers blood sugar drops insulin drops triglycerides drop in other words you obtain benefits on a par but the same magnitude as prescription drugs but right. there's no side effects well, there's no leg edema. There's no injection, and and doesn't doesn't cause hypoglycemia like many drugs do. In other words, what's happening is the world of microbiome, THC, CBD, endocannabinoids, and some other areas are generating new strategies that are on a par or even better than I would say much better than big pharma equivalents. And if I was a big pharma executive, I would be ha I'd be changing my diapers because yeah, exactly. uh, they're it's going to take decades. It's not going to happen next Tuesday. It's not going to happen next year. It's going to take many years because we are laboring in the shadow that they cast because they have trillions of dollars of funding. Mm -hmm. We do not. But I think it's become a very exciting time where people like you and me will have access to these more natural, more physiologic uh, ways to manage health and disease and have nothing to do with TV commercials uh, during morning news. Well, and they're also they're also doing a lot of studies even now on psilocybin and and the way that that also helps with um, you know PTSD and and thing and depression things like that as well. Which is again, right now it's an easy script. You know they're they're writing you off some anti anxiety medicine or prescription medication that you are on for life, and they are incredibly addictive, and you can't get to off of them easily. And um, you know, uh, heaven forbid something should go wrong and you find yourself without access. And then you are having a real medical problem from something that you don't necessarily need to take. So, I mean, again, I was just looking at that because we had talked about some more holistic ways. I think we're finally starting to get to that point where we can, where we're not afraid to say, okay, let's look at psilocybin. Let's look at cannabidiol, you know, things like that. Uh, have other medical benefits. It's not just about getting high necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I have a couple more questions if that's okay. And, and I know we've been throwing out a lot of things. And so I don't want to confuse 
the average person. I don't want to confuse my grandma who's over here, who's listening, what she should be doing. So if I can pull back just a moment and say, what should grandma do on day one with the wheat belly system or with the un undoctored process? What should she be doing day one to start improving her health? What would you suggest? You know, my answer for many years was first understand why we say these things, because it's very upsetting to many people to know yeah. that they've done this for the last 60, 70, 80 years. They taught their children this, they fed right. their grandchildren, right? It's very terrifying to know that maybe your type one diabetes in your child was caused by the grains you fed that child and the failure to correct vitamin D. It's very upsetting. So first of all, I think it's best to understand why you and I say these kinds of things. There's real science. This is not just wild speculation. It's not just wild opinions. There's real science behind all this. In fact, there's a wealth of science behind these kinds of ideas. But there are people who say, you know what, uh, Pete, I, I don't care about the science and the rationale. So I have a program, for instance, it's called Wheat Belly 10 Day Grain Detox. Uh, a lot of us have these kinds of programs. That's just do this day one, do this day two. Mm -hmm. And then maybe down the road, you say, well, I don't understand. What, I, I thought it was nuts, but I lost 63 pounds and I'm no longer hypertensive or <laughs> diabetic. Why does this work? And then maybe then dive into the science. But I think I, I encourage people to understand the rationale, at least some of the science, only because it keeps you on the straight and narrow. It keeps you from falling victim to the silly dietitian's comments who makes fun of you because you lost 57 pounds and <laughs> uh, because by eating fat, not eating right. grains, completely contrary to her message, right? So uh, I think try to understand, choose, choose your choose your poison. How do you want to enter this conversation? But understand what it is you're doing. Uh, for me, it means that my wheat belly books. To understand, I try my, I try to do my best. Some people don't like the science. But I feel it's it's, a, it's it's our responsibility to let people know this is not just wild opinion. This is not just wild claims. There's a real collection of, of science and rationale here. And what additional programs or, or things can they find on the different websites, whether it be wheatbelly.com, wheatbellyblog.com, or undoctored.com? I know you've mentioned a little bit of that, but what can they do? Can they go on the website? Are there things for them to join? Are there groups that they can become a part of? Are there um, excursions or things like that that you that you do through the website? The Wheat Belly blog remains kind of the centerpiece, the good starting place. A mm -hmm. uh, big part of it's free, some parts membership if you want to dive deep into that. Uh, people who just want to dive into the program, don't care about the science or rationale. <clears throat> uh, there's, I have a book called Wheat Belly Tend Grain Detox, and there's a private Facebook page um, that accompanies that where we uh, provide guidance to people, day-to-day -day guidance, as people go through as a group. That's still going on, very popular. Uh, to get that, you go to the Wheat Belly blog, it shows you how to get into that we belly kind of grain detox process yeah. for people who are are perhaps more advanced or want to get beyond these things. Like for instance, one of the really popular things I'm doing is making something called lactobacillus reuteri yogurt. And so it's based on the idea that there's a, a two strains of lactobacillus reuteri that most modern people have lost, even though people up till the mid 20th century had this microbe. So only about 4% of people now retain this microbe. But when you restore it, and we restore it by making a yogurt, it's not really yogurt, it's really a bacterial count fermentation system that tastes like yogurt, uh -huh. but it gives you about 260 billion bacteria. So much more potent than probiotics, much, much more potent than the silly things sold in the grocery store called yogurt. Right. Uh, but we make this thing, it's rich and thick, and you consume it, and you start to lose your skin wrinkles within four weeks. You get an increase in sebum and dermal collagen. You have a restoration of, of muscle and strength. You have preservation of bone density, suppression of appetite. You 
food still tastes great, but you can coast through your day. And even after wheat and grain elimination, that turns off appetite. You're even further in control of appetite. Sleep is deeper. Pete, I'm a chronic, terrible insomniac. <laughs> I used to be hard to go to sleep, always racing thoughts, right? Yeah, I now yeah. sleep like a baby, nine hours a night, which is to me crazy, unheard of. All from the oxytocin boosting effect of the Rotary yogurt. The oxytocin boost you get. So I think everyone knows oxytocin is the so-called love hormone. Right. When you get a boost in oxytocin, not, not only do you get those skin smoothing, muscle building effects, you also get empathy and a desire for human connection. Now think about that, Pete. So, you know, we live in this time, put aside the pandemic. Right. Before the pandemic and then after, we still are in a time of record setting isolation, social Absolutely. isolation, suicide, divorce. In parallel, we've lost this microbe, lactobacillus ruteri, and that's one of a bunch of microbes we've lost, by the way. It's not the only one, there's others. You restore it, and people say, I like my spouse better. I like my family, I like my children better. I like my coworkers better. I go up to strangers and introduce myself. So uh, it's, it's part of the whole philosophy, Pete, of trying to restore things the way they were supposed to have been. Did we lose it evolutionarily, or did we just lose it because of the, the diet that we were eating Prior. It's probably a combination of glyphosate, the antibiotic, uh -huh. of antibiotic residues and meats and other foods, of antibiotics prescribed for this or that infection, uh, PPIs, stomach acid blocking drugs, uh, non-steroidal agents, statin drugs mm -hmm. that disrupt the microbiome. In other words, it's all the things that we're all exposed to in food, prescription drugs, life in general. And it's changed. We've lost We've had massive changes in the composition of bowel flora. For instance, proliferation of stool organisms, the so-called enterobacteriation, okay. like E. coli, Shigella, Campylobacter, et cetera. But we've also lost species. One of them is this Lactobacillus ruteri that I don't think it's a stretch to say is an age-reversing strategy. And there's a whole bunch of other microbes that people should know about. We can talk about in the future, like yeah. Bifidobacter infantis that changes your baby's health and behavior. And, and so I've heard the term gut health kind of thrown out a lot. I don't really know what gut health was all about. And I hear that a lot. People will say, well, your problem's in your gut, but they don't really elaborate on it for me to the point where I understand what, what are you talking about that the, that the problem is in my gut? Um, is that kind of what we're talking about here is things that you eat are going through your system and they're killing the things that are in your system? Yeah, you but I'll be, I'll be more concrete than that. All the things you and I have been exposed to living modern lives glyphosate, mm -hmm. herbicide, pesticide, residues in food, et cetera, have shifted the, ch the species in our colon such that it's dominated by species like E. coli or salmonella at, at the expense of probiotic type species like bifidobacteria, lactobacillus and others. But here's the odd thing. Throw into the mix things like carboxymethylcellulose and uh, polysorbate 80, chlorinated drinking water, and other factors, and that paves the way via disintegration of the mucus lining of the intestinal tract for bacteria to ascend, which is very peculiar. Bacteria now have ascended up into the ileum, jejunum, duodenum, and stomach. I was skeptical that this was a real issue until this came along. This is called the AIR device, A-I-R-E. And once again, I have no relationship whatsoever <laughs> with the company. There's a nice Disclaimer. guy. Yeah. <laughs> There's a nice engineer in Dublin, Ireland. His name is Dr. Angus Short, young guy. 
and his girlfriend was suffering from irritable bowel syndrome. And so she was told to go on a low FODMAPS diet. That's a low fiber sugar diet. And it gives people with irritable bowel syndrome a little relief from their bloating and diarrhea. Yeah. But I, when I saw this device, it came out about a little over a year ago. And he said, it's for IBSP with FODMAPS, low FODMAPS. I, I called him, I said, Angus, do you understand what the hell you invented? He says, no, I didn't. <laughs> I don't. I said, this is a device for identification and mapping out of bacteria in your gastrointestinal tract. And unfortunately, you just can't change the labeling and instruction of the device. Even if you order the device now, it's like 180 bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the instructions are still outdated, but we've been put, put into use as a device to map out where bacteria are. Now, that's very specific. This would be an example, Pete, of where, what I do on my undoctored inner circle website, yeah. where there's a whole bunch of interaction, but I show you how to use it. But if there's a very specific way to use it, and it tells you, you blow into it, talks to your smartphone, it gives you a hydrogen gas reading. That's what bacteria do. They produce hydrogen gas. And it tells you where bacteria are in your gastrointestinal tract. Pete, lo and behold, it's everywhere. It's a huge epidemic. Wow. And so, But now, now what do we do? That's a whole other conversation. But it means trying to reorder what the microbes are, trying to restore some of the lost microbes, like lactobacillus rotori and bifidobacter infantis. And I'll tell you, it's one of the most, you know, weed elimination, huge effects, vitamin D restoration, extraordinary effects. And I put number three, uh, purposeful manipulation of the microbiome, where you get these ex extremely interesting effects, including, I really, I really mean this, partial age reversal. I'm all for that. You know, I'm 47. I'm not that old, but I am already very cognizant of just how short life is. And so I've always been, I've always been that way. I mean, every couple of years I'll, I'll get uh, almost uh, anxiety to the point where, I mean, what have I done? What have I done lately that, you know, that's going to make life worth living <laughs> as weird as it sounds. I mean, I, I've just driven that way. Some people are just driven that way, you know, where I want to make the most of what I, of the time I have. So that's, uh, that sounds very interesting to me for sure. The so, concept I, I, I would pose to you is, can you be 47 for the next 60 years? I would love words, that. Wouldn't it be cool if you right now look this way at 67, at 77, at 87. <clears throat> now, I start all this a little late. I'm 63. But when, by the way, when I started lactobacillus rotori yogurt, uh, I gained, people think I'm nuts when I say this. I, I have no reason to make it up. I'm not selling anything. You're right. I'm not selling you yogurt. <laughs> I gained 13 pounds of muscle and my strength went through the roof. I, I haven't been to the gym very much since the pandemic. Right. But before sure. the pandemic, uh, I was handling weight, going to the gym 15 minutes once a week because I can't stand going to the gym. But I was handling weight that I haven't handled since I was 20 years old. So I, it's, I, I think that's, that's why I say I'm so excited about the new insights we're getting because the science outside of the science generated by big pharma, hospital industry, medical device is so exciting, so innovative, so powerful that I think in the coming few years that you and I and your listeners are going to have access to some really extraordinary new tools. Well, that's that sounds fantastic. And so did you say that the, the recipe or how to make that type of yogurt was on your website? Yeah, it's in my Wheat Belly blog. And Reuteri is R-E-U-T-E-R-I after Gerhard Reuter, the German discoverer of this microbe. So it's the, the blog post is make something like this, make El Rotori yogurt a step-by-step -step guide. Now, by the way, if anybody's interested in diving into the, what, what I call my fermentation projects. So for instance, 
if you're a woman who's thinking of having a baby or you're a mother or grandmother who's got children who are going to have be pregnant one of the other microbes is among many lost by young women is this bifidobacter infantis that if you replenish it in the in the child the baby has more better better form poops 50% fewer bowel movements 50% fewer diaper changes by for mom and dad yeah baby has less colic is much more likely to sleep through the night takes longer naps and as an older child has less potential for di- for type 1 diabetes asthma and autoimmune disease and huge effects now there's a product called uh, Avivo that provides a bifidobacteria EVC001 strain <laughs> well i say let's go a step better let's make yogurt with it and have mom consume it so that when mom delivers her baby baby gets it by passage of the birth canal yeah. and by breastfeeding ah even better so that's the kind of stuff I've been advocating. But if, if people are interested in those, then that's an undoctored inner circle type uh, activity. All right. Well, I mean, thank you, Dr. Davis, for, for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, eye-opening for me, for sure. And that's what I was hoping for. Absolutely. And hopefully some other people who are out there who are listening can can get something from it as well. Uh, again, the, the the websites are wheatbellyblog.com, undoctored.com. And, and again, you can also find the books on amazon.com if you want to look at those for them there you know, for whatever reason, but there are a lot of resources available. There's also have Facebook pages as well, right? A, a Wheat Belly Facebook page and an Undoctored Facebook page also. I think I looked online and I saw that you had some some live stream activity there as well, uh, sharing some information. It's all great. Anything else that you'd like to just take another minute or two and, and promote anything that's going on? I know the world's kind of shut down right now, but sometimes there may be something else going on that you wanted to, to plug for just a moment. I think we just need to urge people to keep their eyes and ears open and be skeptical of what being told yes. by people who profit hugely from the wrong message. And I would urge people to listen to people like you because uh, you're trying to get the edge of what is known, trying to provide people new solutions without charging them $10,000 a month for a drug. So we've got to have this conversation, Pete. So by the way, you are doing fabulous work and I, I you. hope you keep on doing it. You know what? I, I just, I, I'm kind of like what you're saying here. I just kind of had an epiphany. I did my own research. I read my own articles. I listened to people like you talk who had more credentials than I did. And then I tried it. And then um, I noticed the benefits for myself. And anybody who asks, I, I definitely tell them. I absolutely tell them what, you know, quote unquote, my secret, because it's not a secret. Because uh, my health, we're all interconnected, in my opinion. All of our health is interconnected. Because you being in good health also benefits me down the road. If I need that something done to my leg, it may cost a little less if our if our healthcare system isn't overburdened with with the sick. We don't have to be sick. So I'm I'm in it for the long term. I think that we all can kind of work together and help ourselves that way. So once again, thank you so much, uh, Doctor Doctor William Davis. I really appreciate it and uh, hope to talk to you again. Thank you, Pete. Same here. Thank you. There you go, Doctor William Davis. Undoctored, uh, Wheat Belly is his other book, Undoctored, Why Healthcare Has Failed and How You Can Become Smarter Than Your Doctor. And a lot of it is just uh, asking the right questions and being resilient and not just kind of thinking, well, the doctor knows best no matter what. Uh, and we did, and we talked a lot about uh, your diet and the wheat belly and removing, um, like he was mentioning here, re- removing those wheats and grains from the diet, replacing your vitamin D, helping those good bacteria in your gut. I would, I am actually going to go online for sure on his website and look at that yogurt and see what that's all about. Who doesn't want to look and feel younger and stronger? I know I do. 
And so if you do also, you can, again, go online, undoctored.com or the Undoctored Facebook page as well. Like I said, he has some some live streams and things like that that um, helps talk you through what we've been talking about tonight. I know we threw out a lot of, there's a lot of jargon there, here and there, a lot of words with a lot of syllables. I didn't want to necessarily get too far in the weeds of, of drugs and names and things like that, but it is good to know that a lot of the myths that you're told by the media and by the propagandists that put stickers on cereal boxes and tell you that they're heart healthy because they're fat free, that's a lie. Uh, and I've, I've mentioned that before um, on previous podcasts when we had Low Carb USA, we had a, a podcast with Doug Reynolds from Low Carb USA online talking about the keto diet. That's what he also subscribes to and kind of how you have to shop at the grocery store. You have to shop around the outside of the grocery store and the fresh food, the fresh meats, the fresh vegetables, things like that. Don't, don't go down the middle of the store, the stuff that's nothing but wheat and carbohydrate because that is where your problem lies. It really is. And once we get past that point of their convenience foods, they're easy to make, they're quick, you know, you get them in fast food restaurants, they hand them to you, but they're killing us. They really are. They're killing us. They are um, putting a burden on our health institutions and to the point where the only people we have to complain about the cost of our health care is ourselves because we are grossly sick and our health is bad in this country. And it doesn't have to be. And it starts with just what you put in your body and how much of it you put in your body. So hopefully we can get to that. And that's kind of what I wanted to have uh, Dr. Davis on today. What are your thoughts? You can contact us on our Gmail account. It's provingwrongcast at gmail.com. Give us your feeling. Have you tried the, the wheat belly plan? Have you tried keto? Have you just, just tried reducing the amount of wheat and grains, you know, rice, sugars, things like that in your diet? And what benefits have you gotten from it? Uh, like I said, I, I went through and talked about all the benefits that I had already in the, the episode They've been great for me. So it is something that I plan on continuing for the rest of my life. I want to be as healthy as I can for as long as I can because life is short and I don't want to feel bad during the years that I have left. I want to be able to enjoy them. So if you have, again, if you have a, a testimony of your own or a story you want to tell, prove me wrongcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and or um, Instagram. We have pages there. Prove me wrong is the name of the page. Just search for them on Facebook. You can find it. We are on YouTube as well and Rumble also. So both video platforms, like and subscribe to the page. You'll be notified when a brand new episode is released. We, up, we release episodes once a week. So like the page on YouTube, like the page on Rumble. You'll be notified when a brand new episode is released. Again, I do the an audio podcast and the video podcast. So if you are just listening on the audio right now, Say you're on uh, the, uh, the iTunes store or um, Spotify, TuneIn, uh, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, any place where you find podcasts, you can find the Prove Me Wrong podcast. But you can be listening to the audio portion of the show, or you can be watching the video where I actually had a face-to-face discussion with Dr. William Davis. It's up to you. But either way, like and subscribe to the program uh, one way or the other, and you will be notified when a brand new episode is released, and you can join and have another discussion with us. Again, I like to spread out the type of discussions we have. Not everyone is going to be health and fitness. Sometimes we do conspiracy. Sometimes we do paranormal. Sometimes we do music. Sometimes we just do a general grab bag talking about current events. It's, uh, it keeps me motivated. It keeps me uh, focused on what we're doing. Before we go then tonight, I do want to talk about our sponsor. Our sponsor tonight, the Prove Me Wrong podcast, is brought to you by Zendozone Citronella Burners from J.T. Eaton. Again, I have my version of Zendozone right there, that's Surf and Stan. 
They're shaped like fearless bug repellent tiki gods, as you see here. He's a tiki god. And there's the citronella candle inside. So let Surf and Stan, Hawaiian Howie, and Luau Lily bring the islands to your backyard with Zendo Zone citronella burners. They use natural 3% citronella candles and incense cones. They are perfect for patios, decks, backyards, campsites, poolside, and more. You can enjoy the outdoors again. You can find them on Amazon.com or at select Ace Hardware stores. And if you don't find one at your Ace Hardware store, again, send us an email, provemewrongcast at gmail.com. Let us know uh, the location of the store, and we'll try to get them in there. Every, everybody should be able to have a Zendo Zone. But again, Amazon.com or select Ace Hardware stores. Go ahead and collect them all today. So for my guest, once again, it was Dr. William Davis, wheatbellyblog.com, undoctored.com, or his Facebook pages. This is, uh, I am Pete Lieb. This is the Prove Me Wrong podcast, and we will talk to you again soon. 